everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome back to Bionic Bug Podcast. You are listening to episode number 30. This is your host, Natasha Bajma, fiction author, futurist, and national security expert. I'm recording this episode on November 18, 2018. First off, a personal update. I'm excited to announce that I am in the midst of producing an audiobook for Bionic Bug. Uh, I am currently auditioning professional narrators and expect the project to be finished in early 2019. I can't wait to hear Bionic Bug um, read by by someone professional, someone other than myself um, who makes all sorts of mistakes. Um, So it's very exciting uh, time. I also apologize for the break in releasing podcast episodes. I've been recovering from a nasty sinus infection the past few weeks, and my voice continues to be scratchy and unreliable. Uh, You'll probably notice if you listen to the next chapter of Bionic Bug. I'm really sorry, Um, but alas, this is just the way it goes. Um, I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode where I interviewed Samuel Bennett, an expert on robotics, AI, and Russia. Check out the episode and the show notes, which include links to his recent publications, and I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode as well. Okay, let's talk tech. Uh, Just two headlines for this week, keeping it short. Um, The first one is John and Daenerys united in the first pick from Game of Thrones' eighth and final season, published on November 1 on sci-fi.com. You're probably asking, why in the world is this a tech update? Well, I started reading this article because I'm a huge fan of Game of Thrones and I'm eagerly awaiting the final season. And so I saw this piece and of course I started reading. Um, Many of you know production in the final season has stretched on and on and on to as much as 10 months and then they needed another year for visual effects. Oh my goodness, we've been waiting forever. Season 8 is also anticipated to showcase what is being touted as the biggest battle in TV history, which took... Um, over 20, 55 nights to shoot. That's crazy. Um, but what caught my attention while I was reading this article was uh, a quote, and the whole process has been so secretive that HBO has taken to deploying drone killers to take out any drones that might have been flying above the set to spy on the action. And so this led me to another article, HBO literally shooting down drones to prevent Game of Thrones Season 8 spoilers, also on sci-fi.com, and read that article, and so they're talking about these drone killers that are shaped like guns and aimed at the drones to shoot out a beam, so these are probably uh, jammers, um, disabling the drone and driving it back down to the ground. So the technology they're using is from a company called IXI Technology, located in California. Um, These uh, jammers cost $30,000 a pop. So no, I don't think you're going to be able to afford one for your backyard. Um, but for these movie, expensive movie and TV sets, I guess it makes sense, especially um, uh, for the risk of revealing spoilers. Uh, so I just thought this was really interesting because, you know, you probably don't think about when you think about the uh, films and TV being shot Obviously, there's a lot of people who want to know what's going on, and now they have these new tools, drones, airborne tools, 
to surveil. And um, that adds a new complication for producers and directors to uh, ensure the value of their production, make sure that there's no spoilers that reduce um, the potential monetary value that can come out of it. And it's just, it's a fascinating example about how our daily lives are going to be changed um, by this new technology uh, that allows individuals to project power into the air. Um, Next headline, and this is um, just an example of fantastic reporting by the New York Times. The headline is, Are Killer Robots the Future of War? Parsing the Facts on Autonomous Weapons. This was published on uh, November 15 in the New York Times, written by Kelsey Atherton, and this is an absolutely fantastic article. The article addresses a fundamental question. Should machines be allowed to make lethal decisions in battle? And this is the this is a question that our generation is going to have to struggle with. Until now, these decisions have been made by humans. Even though autonomous systems have existed for a long time and, and exist today, a human remains in the loop to make the ultimate decisions on destroying targets. But we're moving into an era where autonomous systems are becoming more intelligent and thus more capable of making such decisions. And so there's a, a temptation for militaries to turn to these systems because if you have uh, autonomous systems fighting your wars for you, you don't have human casualties. You may lose money, but you don't lose people. Um, so one of the challenges is the decision-making speed of machines and this decision-making speed exceeds that of humans. So when one country decides to go fully autonomous on the battlefield, others may be compelled to follow. Um, because as Paul Charest, who's an expert on autonomous systems, he's written a book called Army of None. I encourage you all to check it out. Um, it's a fascinating read. Anyway, um, he argues that uh, it's going to be very tempting for militaries um, to turn to autonomous systems because speed kills. Um, so I also encourage you to read this article. It's fascinating. It will introduce you to the key issues of autonomous systems. Um, the ethical questions that we are going to face. Um, so please go ahead and do that. Uh, let's turn to Bionic Bug. Last week, Lara found important clues at Sully's townhouse, and Rob and Lara got locked in the safe room together. Let's find out what happens next. Chapter 30, Memex. A loud squeal of delight came from outside the safe room. I did it! I did it! She imagined Vic jumping up and down, his face lit up with glee. The excitement was music to Lara's ears. She shuddered at the notion of being cooped up for another minute with her ex-boyfriend. After his clumsy attempt at an apology, the atmosphere between them had grown uncomfortably chilly. The warm, stuffy air further heightened her discomfort and made it nearly impossible to breathe. The safe room door lock made a loud noise when it disengaged. Free at last. As the door creaked open, a cool draft of air rushed in toward them. Lara inhaled the fresh air eagerly. Even though she deserved, he deserved it, she refrained from giving Rob a look that said, I told you so. Relieved, she wiped the sweat from her forehead. Rob picked up their leather jackets from the floor and handed the black one to Lara, his eyes downcast and sullen. Glaring at him, Lara seized her jacket and strode toward Vic, smiling with pride. Outside the room, the FBI team cowered in the corner, probably waiting for Rob's angry reprimand for their failure. The agents breathed a bit easier when he walked by them, not saying a single word. Vic beamed at her, 
Someone destroyed the keypad and cut the wires. I had to reprogram the system from scratch. Luckily, I kept a copy of my administrator code on my smartphone, so I was able to set everything to work as it did before. As easy as a lollipop. You mean a piece of cake, Lara asked, smirking. It's how we say it in cricket, Vic grinned. Boss, I got a hit on the plate number you gave me, Agent Carter said from across the room to Rob. Lara's ears perked up. The black BMW is registered to Anton Stepanov, and the apartment address belongs to Linda Maxwell. Both suspects are already on the big board in your office. You think they're working together? Rob nodded, deep in thought. Lara forgot her anger for a moment. What? Anton Stepanov from DARPA and Linda Maxwell from Beautific Creations are working together? She'd sooner guess Vic was Sully's killer before thinking those two were partners. Is one of them Cybershop? Well, it tracked with Cybershop's connections to the Russians. You know what this means, Rob said, turning to Lara. She nodded. Both Linda and Stepanov drive the same kind of car. Or is it the same car with different plates? Great work, Agent Carter, Rob said. Let's round up the team for a diehard-style takedown. Agent no Carter nodded. Rob took out his phone and sent off a text. A minute later, his phone buzzed. Guys, never mind. We're standing down. Lara raised her eyebrow. Rob standing down? Rob sighed. Justine thinks Cybershop will see us coming from miles away if we go in hot and we'll lose our shot. She's going to meet us out there and we're going to try to lower key approach. Lara tilted her head and raised her eyebrows at him. Robert turned a defensive glance. What? She's been keeping out of the limelight for her cover at Ditra, DARPA. I promised to call her when we made a break in the case on Cybershop. Do you want to go check to see if our friend Linda is at home or not? Lara nodded. Truthfully, she didn't want to spend any more time with Rob at the moment, but she refused to miss out on a major break in the case. She'd follow his lead, at least for now. Do I get to come too? Please, please, Vic asked, his hands folded together under his chin. At first, Rob appeared uncertain, but then he nodded reluctantly. Okay, you earn this one, kid, but things could get hairy. You're going to stay in the car if I say so. Do we have a deal? Vic nodded excitedly and grinned like a dog with a fresh bone. After a 30-minute drive in silence, the FBI cruiser arrived at the Laurel Lakes apartment complex. A set of newly built three-story condominiums constructed with high-end materials and surrounded by pristine, lush landscaping. The website showed that each luxury building housed about 12 apartments. They were each decorated with a tan and red veneer brick pattern and light green siding. The pictures on Lara's phone gave her a good idea of the layout of the complex. Rob drove into the parking lot and traveled around the perimeter of the complex in search of the black BMW convertible. He'd almost driven the entire length of the parking lot before Lara spotted it in the parked in the corner, just a few feet away from the address Sully had written on the back of the picture. The memory of nearly being killed on the street flashed through her mind. That's the car. As Rob parked his cruiser, he pulled alongside the BMW. Lara glanced at the plates and crinkled her forehead. Huh, that's strange, Rob exclaimed, climbing out of the cruiser motioning for Vic to stay put. The plate number is 19024K. This one's registered to Anton Stepanov. I was thinking they drive the same car but switch out the plates, Lara said, nodding in agreement. Rob walked around the car inspecting both the front and back plates and then peered through the windshield to write down the car's VIN. Do you think the plates are fake? Lara asked while scanning the inside of the vehicle. 
The BMW was clean and in mint condition, inside and out. There was nothing inside the car except for the USB cable for a cell phone and a coffee cup in the cup holder. Well, I know for sure, once I look up this VIN, Rob placed his hand on the hood of the car, it's warm. They locked eyes. Just then, Lara heard a car drive up from behind. She turned to find a white Honda and Marilyn plates, with Marilyn plates pulling into the spot next to Rob's cruiser. Justine stepped out of the vehicle, sending a cloud of tropical flower perfume wafting toward Lara. Her stomach already nauseous from being sick, she held back a gag. Lara, good to see you, her tone was cool. Sure, you too, Lara bit her lip. Her stomach gurgled angrily as uncertainty swept over her. She knew Rob and Justine were investigating Cybershop as part of an FBI-NSA collaboration. But by now, Lara thought she was Rob's partner on the case. Am I jealous? Isn't that Stepanoff's car? Justine asked. Rob nodded. Think so. Interesting. Shall we? Justine said, motioning for them to follow her. Rob followed Justine toward the front door of the apartment complex. Lara lumbered after them, clenching her fists. As they approached the building, Rob drew his gun and instructed Justine and Lara to get behind him. Lara did as she was told, her hand positioned on her holster. Unarmed, Justine hung back slightly. Linda's apartment was situated on the third floor of the building, closest to the BMW's parking lot. Lara raced up three flights of stairs after Rob, reaching the top stair with ease. Behind her, she could hear Justine huffing and puffing from the physical exertion. I may not be put together all the time, but at least I'm in decent shape. Leaning his body against the wall, Rob banged hard on the door of apartment 302. Open up! This is the FBI, Rob shouted. Linda Maxwell, open the door! No one responded. Not even a rustle sounded on the other side of the door. Linda, this is the FBI! Open up! FBI, open the door, or I'll force entry! Rob gave his last warning. Seconds later, he kicked the door with all of his might, but it wouldn't budge. He winced and hopped on one foot for a second. He grunted and shook it out. Stand back, he said, pointing his gun at the lock. You're not seriously going to shoot the lock with that pistol, are you? Lara asked. Someone could get hurt. Rob shot Lara an angry glare. And what would you have me do? We need to gain entry now. Shrugging her shoulders, Lara motioned for him to press on and took cover with Justine around the corner, both of them putting their hands over their ears. Rob unloaded several rounds into the lock and it busted open. They followed Rob into the apartment. To, her, to their surprise, the space was completely empty. Not a single piece of paper left on the floor. Rob run, ran from room to room, shouting clear. Lara pursed her lips with disappointment. Linda knew we were on to her and moved out, but Stefanoff's car is outside. It's odd, don't you think? She bit her lower lip, thinking through the possibilities. As she did, her eyes swept the room for anything that she might have missed. The sliding door caught her attention. It was cracked open. Without hesitation, Lara was at the door in just a few strides. She pushed it open the rest of the way and stepped outside. A long makeshift rope of sheets tied together dangled from the railing. Rob, she said over her shoulder, come look. Rob came out to the balcony and gaped at the sheets. Well, that's definitely old school, but it works. Lara's smartphone buzzed. She pulled it out of her pocket. The screen displayed a text from Vic. Linda's getting away. She took off in the BMW right in front of my eyes. I couldn't do anything to stop her. Shit. Lars showed the text to Rob, and his face went slack. They'd missed her by only a few minutes. Let's get out of here, Rob said, holstering his gun and heading out the door. I'm going to get 
an FBI evidence response team over here to search the place from top to bottom. Maybe we've missed something. Justine hesitated, lingering in the apartment. I'm going to stay behind, wait for the evidence team, and see if they find any leads. Rob nodded. Okay, let us know if they find something. Back at the car, Vic was in a frantic state with his hands on his head. Here, I took some photos before she got away. He handed the cell phone to Lara. The photo showed a woman with auburn hair from beautific creations and a tan trench coat getting in her car and then racing away. Lara scratched her head. She's driving Stepanov's car. I must be right. They share it. Rob got on his cell phone, called Agent Carter, and asked him to send an evidence team to the apartment complex and put out an APB on Dr. Anton Stepanov. On the second phone call, Rob requested an arrest warrant from a judge. I can't believe we lost yet another lead. Lara leaned against the car and stared sullenly at the ground. I feel like all we do is take steps backward on this case. It's driving me mad. Patience, Lara. We're almost there now. Linda won't get very far, Rob said, hanging up the phone. The entire police force in the National Capital Region is already on the lookout for her. She knew Rob was trying to make her feel better, but it didn't work. The case was going round and round and getting nowhere, and she needed to earn money again. Rob motioned for them to get in the car. Lara climbed into the passenger side of the FBI cruiser while Rob started the engine. As Vic situated himself in the back seat, he put a hand on Lara's shoulder. Don't worry, boss. Everything is not completely lost. Oh, really? Do you know something I don't know? Lara didn't usually snap at Vic, but she wasn't in the mood for any snark. Rob began driving out of the lot. She watched the buildings go by. Vic didn't lose a beat. Well, you know how I've been constantly wearing my digi-specs and typing on my virtual keyboard like a crazy person? You have been buried in that screen thing a lot lately. What did you find? Lara's mood lifted at the prospect of a clue. I've been using a tool called Memex to search the entire World Wide Web. Memex helps me access the websites on the dark web that are not indexed by standard search engines. Lara forward a brow and scrunched her face. What does that mean? Without warning, Rob took a corner at high speed jerking her forward. She grabbed the door handle to steady herself and shot an irritated look at Rob. What's his problem? Remember we talked about Tor? Vic asked, his head bobbing up and down, clearly enjoying the bumpy ride. Oh yeah, sorry. I created a machine learning algorithm to build a log of all of Killerbot's activities on the dark web, and I think I'm getting closer to figuring out Fiddler's location. A machine learning algorithm? Vic nodded. It's a program that pulls certain types of information using Memex from the internet and the dark web. Using big data analytics, a, comp a computer can identify correlations of interest much more quickly than humans. Okay, so what's Memex again? Lara asked. DARPA invented Memex to search the entire network of websites, including the internet, the deep web, and the dark web. I don't get it. If the dark web is hidden except through Tor, how can DARPA search it? Lara didn't like it when there were technical things beyond her understanding and cyberspace had a tendency to baffle her. She couldn't fathom who came up with the idea of setting up ungoverned and easy ac accessible network of computers vulnerable to all sorts of malicious behavior. Vic smirked. Because DARPA developed Tor and the dark web in the first place. The US Navy created the original onion routing technology in the 1990s to protect US intelligence communications. The US Naval Research Laboratory later released the code for Tor under free license. Since then, DARPA developed a search engine for the deep web called Memex, which combines the word for memory and index to... Lara frowned. Wait, so 
Criminals use technology created by the U.S. government to hide their illegal activities? That doesn't sound like the smartest idea. Vic pretended to shoot himself in the head with a finger. Well, it's not that smart. How many times have I told you the dark web is overrated? I'm going to drop you and Vic off at your office, Rob interrupted. I've got to head back to the FBI Washington field office and make sure we get that warrant to search the commercial development that keeps coming up for Fiddler. But what about my bike? Lara now regretted letting Rob drive her. Can't you just get it later? Rob asked. Lara glared at him, her cheeks flushing pink. Despite her anger, Rob still held sway over her. She sat silent for a few minutes, trying to refocus on the issues at hand. She turned back to Vic. How does Memex help us find Fiddler? Lara, I was trying to explain it to you so that you understand. Memex is designed to pull from a larger pool of data sources, searching unindexed information on the internet and the dark web. So you have better tools, but Tor hides locations and identities. How do you get past that? Okay, we already know Fiddler uses the pseudonym KillerBot, so he no longer enjoys anonymity from us. The challenge becomes discovering his current physical location. And for that, we can exploit the vulnerabilities of onion routing. Even though the layers of encryption hide locations and identities, there are records of connections between nodes, the time they occurred, and the amount of data transferred. I'm using a technique called traffic analysis to search the records of connections between a website or forum, trying to match the timing and the data transfer amounts to recipients. Then, by exploiting compromised nodes in the network, I can rebuild the data chain and determine if there are any patterns of communication. If the compromised nodes are the final nodes in the chain, I can actually get some useful raw data. Vic, you lost me. Plain English, please. Basically, my algorithm analyzes specific traffic over the dark web pertaining to KillerBot and Cybershop. By digging through this information and exploiting vulnerabilities, I can ascertain personal information such as passwords, private messages, bank account numbers. Rob slammed on his brakes and honked angrily at the car in front of him, even though the offending driver had no control over his self-driving vehicle. Lara eyed him, but he didn't notice. Turning back to Vic, she asked, So, did you find something or not? Lara tapped her fingers against her thigh, impatient for a response. Vic shook his head. Not yet, but I'm close. Traffic analysis is tedious and time-consuming work. So far, I've inferred from past communications that some type of event may be imminent. Vic, keep at this. At some point, you might actually solve this case for us. Lara's smartphone buzzed. Hitting the accept call button, she said, Lara Kingsley... Miss Kingsley, Detective Sanchez here. Great, I'm not in the mood for another lecture. The detective cleared his throat. I'd like you to come down to the station. We're about to go over a list of suspects and thought we could use an extra set of eyes. Are you free? Well, this is a surprise. The detective wanted her help for a change. Lara glanced over at Rob, who remained focused on the road and pretended he wasn't listening. Sure, I can be there in 15 minutes. Good, see you soon. The line disconnected. Uh, Rob? What? Rob sniped at her. Sheesh. Lara didn't know what had angered him more. His team failing to get them out of the safe room, losing Linda, or her angry response to his idiotic attempt at an apology. She really didn't care. No need to snap at me, Lara retorted. I'm going to need you to make two stops. Detective Sanchez wants me to swing by the station, and Vic needs to get back to the townhouse to head over to his class. Rob sighed inaudibly and looked at his watch. Fine. For the next 20 minutes, they drove in complete silence. Rob jerked the cruiser around like he was taking out his frustration on the vehicle. 
Here we are, Rob said, pulling up to the 1st District Police Station in Southeast D.C. Lara breathed a huge sigh of relief. Sorry to leave you stranded without your bike, Rob said. Lara motioned with her hands, brushing off his attempt at an apology. Yeah, okay. You'll let us know about the warrant. Rob nodded, but didn't look at her. Lara waved goodbye to Vic as the cruiser sped away, the tires squealing. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.